0: Today's reading is from 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God, And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each other, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word.
1: Please pray with me. Gracious God, as we now open your word. Our desire, Lord, is to hear from you. Uh, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would cut to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you and hearts uh, able to understand and ready to be changed by your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Monday uh, afternoon, I received a phone call in my office. Uh, It was not just a phone call. It was a FaceTime call from my wife, which is rare. Usually, she'll just text me if she needs something from the grocery store on the way home or call me if there's a quick question, but we don't FaceTime. Well, this was big news. We have been potty training in the Levering House this week. I should say Carissa has been potty training, Chloe. And after six accidents and much aggravation and tears, we had our first success Monday afternoon. And that news was not just text worthy or phone call worthy. That was FaceTime worthy. Chloe had to tell me herself and see my reaction to it. Well, good news is always worth sharing with others. Now, you think about it. You find a new restaurant that you love. What is it that you turn around and say to others? You've got to go eat at this place. It was so amazing. And order this when you do. I remember when we first moved here, uh, Tosh Hope telling me about Regina Pizza downtown. And you have to go to the one that's in the north end because the ovens are different at all the other ones, and that's the original. you've got to eat there. So we go there every time we have guests in town. Uh, or, you know, when the Patriots pull off a last-minute victory like they did last Sunday. You know, you jump on Facebook or Twitter and you're celebrating, not because other people aren't aware. They were watching the game too. They know what happened. But because you can't help but talk about it. It's such good news. And so if trivial matters like food and football or even just getting potty into a toilet... If those are so good that we can't help share them with others, what about the best news of all? What about the news that life is not meaningless, that there is a God who made us, who rules us, who has the right to judge us, but who loves us and sent his only son to redeem us and to reconcile us to himself so that we might know him and love him, and enjoy him, and honor him forever. What about that good news? Are we excited to share that? The gospel of Jesus was never meant to be a private matter for a pious few. It was always meant to go public. If you think about Jesus' ministry, he didn't perform his miracles in a corner, or behind you know, closed doors. Uh, he didn 't die secretly behind a curtain. he lived in the open, teaching publicly and uh, from in Jerusalem from town to town. He died in the open, hung on a cross for all of the world to see, and he rose in the open. He appeared to his disciples and to five hundred of them at one time and before he ascended to his father, he sent his followers his disciples into the open he gave them a commission to bear witness to all nations that he is the true king of heaven and earth and the savior of all humanity all four gospels include some version of what we call the great commission and the most famous being from matthew all all authority in heaven and on earth Has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The book of Acts picks up that exact same theme, right where the Gospels leave off. And begins with the same emphasis. So you're coming out of the Gospels in Jesus' ministry and now into the ministry of the church. And it starts the way that the Gospels end, Acts 1. But you will receive power excuse me, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when you read through Acts, you see that's exactly what happens. The disciples go out. They start in Jerusalem, and they work their way outward. Excuse me. The the sickness has hit our house as well. Um, With the spirit-empowered witness... Clear the exhaust pipes for a moment here, instead of torture you. There we go. So throughout Acts, we see that the spirit-empowered witness of the church bearing witness to God's word, the gospel, increasing and multiplying as more and more people come to faith in Christ. And so you see it Acts 6-7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. You see it in chapter 12, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. nineteen twenty. so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Christ sent his church into the world that we might multiply spiritually through the power of the gospel. It's our commission. And that we might see men and women turn from sin and turn from brokenness, that they might find forgiveness and new life in Christ, become part of Christ's family, grow in his likeness, find hope and healing, And that we might serve Christ and turn around and and honor him in everything that we do, including making him known to others. That there would be a multiplication factor. Uh, the, The church in Acts didn't grow through addition. It wasn't one man preaching to the masses. It grew through multiplication. It was a few people opening God's word with a few other people. And those people turning around and opening God's word with a few more people and so on. The gospel grows by spiritual multiplication. That's our calling as followers of Christ. Uh, now, it may not be the most the thing that we're most excited about in the Christian faith. Uh, if we're honest, uh, sometimes we think that evangelism and discipleship uh, aren't aren't simply aren't for us. They're for the the professionals, you know, or the experts. We don't know enough, or we're maybe we're not. We don't feel spiritual enough. To talk about this uh, with others. Or, or we're simply afraid of what it might cost us. I and mean, that's for me. The, the one catch that I find myself running up against every time is, what's this going to cost me relationally? What's it going to cost me in reputation and so on? What if they reject me? Um, but spiritual multiplication, that what we see in the scriptures, is not for the experts, so-called. Uh, it's for everyone. And if you think about it, if you just kind of think of your own life for a moment, Everyone here who believes in Jesus Christ, who, who has committed their life to him, everyone here is the fruit of someone else going public with the gospel. Someone took a risk to open their lives and open God's word with you. To bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And we have the privilege and responsibility as followers of Christ to do for others what has been done for us uh, to make Christ known. So what does that look like? What does that look like? What do I have to offer? And how do I go about this process of what we've called spiritual multiplication? You can call it any number of things, but I like that imagery of the gospel multiplying. Uh, What do we do with that? What does this mean? Well, this morning I want to return to a passage we looked at a few years ago, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, where we see both the power and the pattern for spiritual multiplication, the power and the pattern. And the power, as we're going to see, is the transforming word of God as it's shared through the transparent lives of God's people. That's the power. The pattern is evangelizing, establishing, and equipping others for gospel service so we'll look, look at both of those together. But we'll start with the power for multiplication. Uh, Thessalonica is one of those cities that Paul visited uh, on uh, one of his three trips, uh, making Christ known as a, as a missionary, as a preacher. And uh, it's one of those cities where they saw several people come to Christ and they saw a church born. And you could read about that in Acts 17 when he goes and visits uh, this city. And a few years later, he writes to this church and in this letter here, and he not only commends them for their faithfulness and love, he encourages them to keep walking and hoping in the power of the gospel, of the message of Christ crucified. Uh, It's that gospel message which changed them in the first place, it's still that same gospel message that has the power to continue changing their lives and to change the lives of others through them. And so he encourages them to continue on in the gospel. He reminds them of the transforming power of God's word in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So the heart of Paul's disciple-making ministry was the gospel of Jesus, the, the transforming power of God's word. And that word is not merely words, but a transforming word. It's a message that comes with power, with the spirit, with full conviction. It is a message that's actually able to change lives. That's, for some of us, that's the first thing that comes hard to believe, that the gospel message actually has the power to change lives. Until you stop and think about how God has changed you through it. And we see it, we get what he's talking about. That, that what Jesus has done, not what we do for him, but what God has done for us through Christ in his life, in his death, in a place, that the Spirit of God takes that message and applies it to our lives, convicting us of sin, And filling our hearts with faith, giving us new life. The gospel comes to us as we are, but it doesn't leave us as we are. It changes us. It has, it works in us. Paul says later in chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, for that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. Not just Paul's opinions or ideas, but as it, what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's Word does God's work. So God's transforming Word, that's the power of the gospel. And we see that. Uh, In Thessalonians, however, so the the power for transformation, the power for multiplication comes through God's transforming word. But throughout this letter, we see that 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 word comes to God's people through the transparent lives of God's followers. So it's God's word as it's shared through transparent lives, lives that are authentic, genuine, open for others to see how God has actually changed us. And so look again at chapter 1, verse 5 with me. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So there's the power of God's word, but then he finishes there. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Paul's life was open to the people he was serving. They knew how he lived. They could see the genuineness of his ministry. They could see his concern for them. They could see how God's word had changed his life. And so the power of multiplication, it's God's transforming word, but it's shared through lives that are transparent and open for others to see. Those two things so often in our lives walk hand in hand. And we see it right here in chapter 2. So... I'm going to read these verses again, and I want you to listen and notice how we see both the transforming word of God and the transparent lives of his people showing up in both of these. Thank you. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, so right out of the bat, you yourselves know. What I'm going to say to you is no surprise. There's transparency here. You know that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, God's transforming word. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, transparency, But just as we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, God's word, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, transparency. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Genuine care and transparency. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, God's word, but also our own selves, transparent lives. Because you become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you. Transparency. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, God's word, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. He's transparent. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Transparent lives proclaiming God's transforming word, both of those walking hand in hand. And you can, you know, we heard this in Ashley's testimony a few minutes ago, how it was friends opening their lives with her and opening God's word with her that equipped and encouraged her and that she's been able to turn around and do with her roommate and with other girls on campus, opening not just the word of God, but her very life to them as well. And I think of it in my own life. Um, You know, God has used uh, too many people to number uh, in my life in terms of bringing me to a point where my eyes were open to Christ and equipping me and and growing me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, but every single one of them, the pattern is there. They opened God's word and they opened their lives to me. I think of my parents who took me to church and loved me sacrificially. Think of friends in high school who took the courage to point out the fact that just because I went to church, I wasn't a Christian offended me initially, but they took the they took the risk. Think of uh, my friend Brian, who met with me every week in college for four years to teach me how to open God's Word, how to pray, how to share with others. Um, who modeled that to me? And, you know, there's so many different people, but in each case, it's a shared life and the sharing of Christ's message. That's what makes the difference. That's what grows the gospel of Christ. And so the question is, who is it in your life? You know, if you just stop and think for a moment, who was it that shared their lives and God's word with you? Who was it that God used? And think about how God used them. And then, of course, the next question is, who are you opening your life to? Who are you opening God's word with? Power of transformation is the... The power of multiplication is the transforming word of God to the transparent lives of his people. We have to open the word of God. It's a non-negotiable. Scripture matters because in the Bible, God is speaking. He is making himself known. And we're not going to uh, make followers of Christ if we do not get people into God's word. Because you don 't have the authority or the message or the power to change their lives by themselves god 's word is what does god 's work and, and that frankly is one of the most freeing principles in any sort of ministry, but especially disciple making ministry that the Word of God does the work of God as the spirit applies it to people 's lives so i don 't have to improve on god 's word i don 't have to come up with you know ways to To make it sound better. God's word does God's work as the spirit applies it to people's lives. So we must open God's word, but we must open our hearts as well. We must open our hearts as well. Authenticity matters. Because we're talking about relationships. We're not talking about a project. We're talking about people. And and transparency in the gospel means sharing life in a genuine relationship, loving people, not because of what you think you might get out of them, not because you can then go, you know, report back to somebody else, I, I got to, you know, share this with so on. But because you actually love them. You actually love them just as God loves them. And if you if they can't see how the gospel's changed you, if if you don't open your life to them, then what reason do they have for taking the credibility uh, of your words. So it's God's open, opening God's word through our open lives. And one of the reasons um, that it's hard for us to go public with the faith is the fear that people will think that we've got some sort of agenda. Uh, In fact, one of the reasons that our non-Christian friends uh, are hesitant sometimes to entertain the faith is for fear that we have some sort of agenda. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you may be asking yourself that exact question right now. What's what's the angle here? Uh, Why can't we just live and let live? Why not? You know, what are what are you really trying to get out of this? In other words, are you for real? Is this for real? And those are natural fears and questions. Um, The Thessalonians seem to be asking the exact same questions that we ask. In fact. Uh, if you look at uh, chapter 2 again, Paul goes out of his way to make clear to them that he's not playing an angle here, that he doesn't have alternative motives for why he's sharing God's word with them. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. And Paul can say that. I mean, it's one thing you say, my my motives are pure. He can say that because his life was an open book to them, and they knew the truth of his words. He had lived with them enough and shared uh, his life long enough that they knew who they were dealing with. They knew who they were dealing with. Uh, The sad reality is that... um, There are people with an agenda. There are people with an angle out there who are using the name of God for personal gain. Uh, You see it every time you flip on certain channels with some of the the preachers on TV. Uh, You see it, frankly, in a lot of the book sections in Barnes & Noble. Uh, There are plenty of people out there who are looking to gain through God, uh, through ministry to God, so-called. Um, but if I'm honest, there are times where I have an angle too. It might not be financial, but, you know, I want approval. I want people to like me. I want to look like I'm a success as a pastor, and so I need to share this or, or say that. But that's why transparency matters so much, because it shows people that I'm just as dependent and needy for the gospel as you are. It's not that I've arrived and now I'm showing you how to get there. It's that I'm a mess and that I have a Savior who is amazing and loves me despite that, and you can know him too. That's why transparency matters. We're sharing real lives with real people, holding out a message of real hope. The transforming power of God's word through a transparent lives. Shared together with others. That's the power of multiplication. So how about the pattern or process? What, what do we actually do with God's word when we're sharing life with others? Uh, Ashley gave an excellent example of that in, in her description of you know, what others did with her and what she's turned around and done with her friends. But the pattern that we see in 1 Thessalonians is the same pattern that we see in Jesus' ministry to his disciples throughout the book of Acts and elsewhere, and it's very simple. We evangelize the non-Christian, we establish new or young Christians, and we equip growing Christians so that they might go and do likewise. So three things, establish, excuse me, evangelize, establish, and equip. So look again at chapter one with me. After Paul, you know, Starts by thanking God for the fruit of the gospel in this church in 1 3. He then kind of recounts to them their spiritual journey and his ministry to them in verses 4 through 10. And the first thing we see is evangelism that Paul brought the gospel to them so that they might believe. Verse 4 For you, you're, you're, you know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. Now, the word evangelism uh, simply means sharing the good news of Jesus with someone who does not yet know him. We we get it from the Greek word for gospel, euangelion. Uh, But it means simply sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus, with those who do not yet know him. We want to help them see how their personal story, their life, how it fits into God's big story that he's telling, the, the work that, that he has done, his story that changes everything. We want to help them see how Jesus deals with the, our greatest problems and satisfies our deepest longings, that he really matters in the most uh, ultimate way possible, our greatest problem being the sin that separates us from God and our deepest longing to be known and loved by God forever. And so we want to explain clearly how Jesus' righteous life comes and stands in the place of us, how his sacrificial death actually is enough to deal with our sin. The full weight of God's anger against our sin was exhausted on the cross as christ died in our place and that changes us it changes us and we want to help them understand how we take hold of this gift through faith that the christianity so often we get it into our brains that that christianity is about cleaning my life up enough so that i kind of look respectable to god or at least trying to do a few more good things than bad so that you know at the end the scale just tips a little bit And that has nothing to do with it we are saved not by our works. We, we, we begin a relationship with God not by our works, but through faith in Christ and his work for us. And we want to make that clear to people so that they stop depending on themselves or on some false god and start finding their life and hope in Jesus instead. And so the goal of evangelism is to help someone believe the gospel of Jesus. That's where, this, that's where the Christian journey starts. Um, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Um, we start with evangelism, helping someone believe the gospel and, and beginning a relationship with God. But then Paul goes on to establish and to equip the believers in Thessalonica because they are now part of God's family and have a mission uh, from God. Uh, They've got a goal, a calling, just like the rest of us. And so the middle of verse 5, Paul says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then later he says in, in chapter 2, verse 12, We exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul did not just leave the Thessalonians as new Christians. He spent time with them to help them grow and become anchored in the faith. Declaring God's word to them and sharing his life with them. And so we want to evangelize. We want to make the gospel known. But we want to then invest in new Christians and establish them. Establish them. Uh, if the goal of evangelism is to help someone believe the gospel, the goal of establishing is to help them depend on the gospel and apply it to all of life. That's that's the goal. And so you think of the imagery, you know, of establishing something. You're building a foundation. You're building a solid foundation. The foundation of the gospel of the grace of God and the spirit of God. And then all of life is built on that. Or you think of the imagery of a tree uh, sinking deep roots down. You know, I, <clears throat> when we uh, moved recently, there were, was absolutely no vegetation in our yard at all. <clears throat> and so uh, this spring we did a little bit of planting and we Joshua saw this $6.25 tree. At Lowe's, he's like, Dad, we should plant that thing. And I'm like, for 625, yes, we should plant that thing. And so, you know, I planted it in there. But for the whole first year of this little sapling's life, you have to have a rope around on either side because the roots aren't strong enough. If a wind were to come up, it would just knock it right over. And so it's got to have time to sink roots and to get anchored so that eventually it can grow and bear fruit. And that's what we're doing when we're establishing Young Christians, we're helping them get this foundation, sink roots into God's word so that they can grow and bear fruit and so that they can weather the storms of life when they come, which they will. The Christian life is not about less suffering or turmoil or chaos. It's about having hope and meaning and purpose regardless of our circumstances. And so we want to establish them in the faith we want to grow uh help followers of Christ grow in dependence on his grace and his spirit Christ is our lifeblood you think of uh, of John 15:5 Jesus says I am the vine you are the branches you know apart from me you can do nothing Christ is our lifeblood without him we do nothing Christ is our king he calls all of life to to be brought under his rule and reign Christ is our satisfaction and joy. If I am not growing and finding my identity and satisfaction in Christ, then I'm going to be tempted to be looking for that in other places. And so we need to grow deep roots and be established. And then, of course, uh, the idea is not just to be mature. You know, the purpose of planting a fruit tree is that someday you want to eat the fruit on it. And so we want to equip for gospel service as well. We evangelize, we establish, and we equip. Um, If evangelizing is uh, helping someone believe the gospel, and establishing is helping them to apply it and depend on it, equipping is helping someone learn how to minister the gospel to others. And again, we see that in Paul's ministry. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Speaking to the Thessalonians, he said, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, so they're out there preaching the word, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. How you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of uh, the wrath to come. So, having been evangelized by Paul on his first visit, and then established through you know in the ministry of Timothy, whom He sent at one point, and through Paul and his letters, and Paul's time there initially. They were then equipped and were out there doing for others what Paul had done for them. Making the word of God known. They ministered God's transforming word. And their own transparent lives became a model to the other churches around them. It's very similar to what Paul says in um, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Speaking to Timothy, he says that, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so you see four generations in that one verse. Paul investing in Timothy, Timothy investing in faithful men, faithful men who will be able then to teach others also. Uh, you think about it, you know, if, if, if you were to take one person and spend the next six months with them, evangelizing them, establishing them, equipping them, assuming it can be done in six months. It can't always, rarely, in New England. But say you could, just for the thought experiment, that you could take one person and invest in them for the next six months so that at the end of six months, both of you turn around and invest in another person for six months. And then at the end of that six months, each of them turn around and do the same. It would take approximately 17 years to evangelize the entire global population. That's the power of multiplication. 17 years to reach 7 billion people. Now again, it takes more than six months very often. For some of us it takes a lifetime. And not everyone that we invest in are going to respond to the gospel in the way we would hope. doesn't mean we don't still love them or serve them. Um, And nor are evangelism and establishing and equipping solely individual activities i've been talking mostly uh, in the context of someone's personal ministry here but the reality is whenever whenever god's people gather and god's word is opened and our lives are shared these things are happening these things are happening the question is how can i become more intentional about it how can i become more intentional about this and i would encourage you this morning Start with two people. Think of two people, maybe a family member and a friend or a colleague and a neighbor, one of whom does not yet know Christ and one who is younger or newer in the faith. Think of two people. You can write their names on your worship folder if you want and pray and and pray for God that he would do a work in them over the next six months. Ask God to do a work in them. That if they don't know Christ, they would come to know him. If they do know him, they would be strengthened and grow. Start, start simply by praying for them. Pray daily for them. Just think of it, What would happen if I committed to pray daily for two people? One who knows Jesus and one who doesn't. What would God do? And as you pray for them, you find that you can't help but want to spend time with them. You want to know how they're doing. You want to invest in them. And you look for opportunities to share life. You know, normal life. Watch the Patriots game with them tomorrow night. Uh, go out for lunch. Whatever it is. You know, buy tickets for December 18th and talk about Star Wars from now until then or something. But share a life. Real relationship. You know, so often, sometimes we're afraid in evangelism. Because we've maybe had a bad experience with it. You know, sometimes we're just afraid of rejection, but maybe we've had a bad experience with it, where we kind of feel like we're we're doing some sort of multi-level marketing pitch and we're just trying to hijack a conversation and make a sale. And and that just you know leaves a bad taste in our mouth and and so on. But the reality is, you know, we, we want to find a risk free way of making disciples um and the reality is that love is always risky. Love is always risky. And if we love our non believing family and friends, we will take the risk of telling them about Jesus, even if it feels awkward and we're not sure where it will go. Uh, but to not tell them about Christ would frankly be unloving. And I think of uh, uh, many of you have heard the commentary of Penn Gillette. Penn Gillette is one of the uh, magician duo of Penn and Teller fame. Uh, Penn is an outspoken atheist. And yet he said one time that if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Love is always risky. It's always risky. But Christ is powerful. His word has the power to change lives if we're willing to open it with others and to open our lives. And so start with two people and pray for them and look for chances to spend time with them and ask God to bring up those gospel conversations and maybe take initiative to bring them up too. Uh, But pray that, that God would use us to multiply the gospel here in New England. Good news is always worth sharing. It's always worth sharing. And we have the best news in the world. That there is a God who made us who rules us, who loves us, and who sent his only son to redeem us. And we can know and enjoy him and glorify him forever through faith. That's news worth sharing. So may God be pleased to multiply his word among us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you fill our hearts with a hunger for you and a love for your people? That we would be so affectionately desirous of them. That we would be ready to share not only the gospel of God, but our very own lives as well. Lord, we know that, that for the courage and boldness and passion For that to happen, we need to grow deeper in our relationship with you. Uh, Lord, when we love little, is so often a symptom that we have belittled your love for us. Remind us of your incomparable love. Remind us of just how, uh, how big your grace is for sinners like us. And give us a discontent not... To share that grace with others. Lord give us a heart. That can't help but talk about the best news in the world. Lord help us to to be faithful to you. And Lord as we we celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. um, May we do so. May we share your gospel out of gratitude Lord. Not out of arrogance or pride. But out of gratitude for the God who saves Lord, we thank you uh, and give you praise for all of the good gifts that you've given us, Lord. This is a season of gratitude, and so we say thank you for uh, even the things that you're doing in our church family right now, Lord. We thank you for the birth of Shohei Takahashi recently. We thank you for the family and the friends that you have given us. We thank you for all of your good provisions, Lord. Everything we have ultimately comes from your hand. And Lord, while we recognize that this world uh, does not always work the way that it's supposed to, that that the holidays can, uh, for some of us, be a painful reminder of what we wish we had or what we no longer have, uh, grant us the grace to cling to you in every situation, to always be thankful, knowing that in Christ all of this is going to work for good in the end. And that in Christ we, have, we already have everything that we truly need. Lord, fill our hearts with thankfulness. And may that be so for those among us who are facing needs. Um, for Mary, Marine Medallia and Mary Boy, for Wayne Griffith, stand right out. Um, for Becky Fellin's grandmother who uh, suffered a heart attack this week. Lord, we need your continued grace. And so would you be with each of them. And we ask that you be with our missionaries as well. Those who have served you on our behalf around the globe. We think specifically of the fairmans this morning and their work in Asia. Uh, Would you grant them the grace to multiply your word in those regions, Lord, among those people. May your kingdom come, Lord. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.